What's up, everyone? My name is Justin Odisho. Welcome back to another episode of my podcast. It's been over a year since I've done a new episode. So today I'm doing it through Zoom. We got this whole lockdown thing going on. I figured this is a great time to start up a sort of new season of the show going forward. Today with me, I've got Josh Olufemi. If you enjoy my channel, you're definitely probably familiar with his channel, or if you're not, would enjoy his channel. He does a lot of the same visual uh, editing programs, teaching Adobe, Premiere, After Effects, but also has a lot of experience on set as a director, as a video creator. So Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Awesome. Pleasure to be here, Justin. Yeah. So uh, for anyone that doesn't know you real quick, like give me just a real quick rundown. No, real quick. Um, uh, Channel is called Joshua Lufemi. We do a bunch of uh, video production breakdowns, tutorials. We talk to industry veterans anything short form so we don't really deal with like feature film based stuff it's all like music videos commercials you know lifestyle videos we talk we talk about video production short form video production awesome and uh he's gotten a couple over a couple hundred thousand uh subscribers on the channel at this point now um we're trying millions of views and uh i wanted to just jump right in to some actual practical tips that someone who is listening to this, especially since you focus on the music video side, might uh, be able to take away from this and and use because I'm much more focused on the post-production kind of, I like to think of myself as like an internet editor. So why don't we start off quickly with uh, what do you actually do on set like as a director? Very good question. So uh, what you do on set as a director is you you uh you are the vision of the set so you need to have picked your your job is to pick the perfect team that's able to um best perform every one of the individual positions that you need on set so whether it be your producer um your ad um these are people that are more in the realm of managing things and setting stuff up as opposed to the creative um, whether it be your G and E team, your grip and electric team, they're, they're, they are uh, in charge of implementing your vision as well as your, uh, your cinematographer, setting up lighting, you know, setting up equipment, all this stuff. So you, it, it, it's your job to cast the vision and then to be the leader actually on set and in post-production as well. So this, this already brings up like a kind of a question in my mind. A lot of people nowadays, um, they make videos, right? They might make yeah. a music video for their friend. They make uh, videos for themselves. And there's a there's a distinction now between these traditional things, like all these things that you just mentioned, director with someone with lighting, someone who, who carries the grip, someone who does all this stuff, versus the guy that's just at home or the person that's just at home uh, making a video. What is the... Like, do you see this distinction between the traditional world and the modern world kind of changing as technology is getting cheaper and more affordable and what do you where do you see that going yes yeah, so, so i think it's really cool i think we all you're talking about kind of the difference between like a one-man band type of team as well as, yeah. far, as instead of like a as opposed to like a professional like full production team yeah I, I think that's where we most of us start and i think it's really important to be able to have that ability to be the dp and set up your lighting and you know do your producing and all that stuff by by yourself so that when you get up to the point when you have those budgets that are big enough to hire all those people out you kind of have an at least an elementary knowledge of every type of position 
you know, on a film team uh, so that you can direct efficiently. How, how does one make that transition? Because it seems like a lot of times you'll see people talking about it and there's just like this, this jump from one to the other. But how does one get to the point or, or when should one? Should one stay a one-man band? Like what are the, some of the pros and cons? Because you've done, have you done a little bit of both, I'm assuming? Definitely. That's a really good question, man. Like, so me, I, I kind of got thrown into it a couple years ago. Um, I had a mentor, Matt Alonzo, um, amazing guy. You can see him on my channel a ton. Um, he's been doing this for years. He's like a legend in the industry. And I got a, a rather large budget. I got a, like a hundred thousand dollar budget kind of out of nowhere. Uh, mainly I think cause I had a YouTube channel uh, a few years ago and, um, but to be honest, I didn't really know what I was doing as far as on the professional end. Don't tell anyone. But you know, I made the, <laughs> sure the client was was in a safe place. I was like, okay, I'm gonna just hire Matt. Matt's been doing these type of budgets and hire for forever, you know, right? And so um, I was like, hey, Matt, I want you to be my producer. I want you to be my DP even, and I want you to be my mentor. And I'm gonna hire you throughout this entire process. It was actually a crazy thing because I was moving to Australia the day after my shoot so it was crazy this whole thing happened where we ended up having to actually push the second half of the shoot back i was like overseas it was crazy longer story later but um but basically what i was able to do is i i got the budget first and then i figured out how to implement that budget late just by hiring the right people that's, that's the beautiful thing man like like when you have the big budgets, you can take projects that are a little bit outside of your comfort zone because you know that in the end you can hire the right people. And in the end, a professional production, it, it all it, it's all on you in the end, but it has a lot to do with just being able to be smart enough and being humble enough to hire the people that specialize in these specific skills. Um, and that's kind of what I realized. I was like, oh, okay, it's not all up to me. Um, so that, that's kind of a comforting thing I tell everyone when they're moving into the kind of scarier, high-budget arena of film production. And then I feel like the years of doing stuff by myself really helped as well as far as just like the basic creative and kind of understanding yeah. on, on the basic level what everyone was doing. Yeah, I have a lot of... That brings up a lot of points. So like, first of all, who... You don't have to say specific contract-wise, but who gave you... Why would someone give someone $100,000 to make a video in the first place? And then also, you say you hired this guy, Matt Alonzo, um, yeah. great director and everything. But like, where did you find him in the first place? Like, you, so you got this job. Did you go looking on LinkedIn? Like, where did you go looking? Okay, good question. Um, I got the budget just because I had a YouTube channel. Um, so someone I, saw your a video of yours and like reached out and said, I want to shoot a music video or what was that? Someone saw that I knew how to teach film production and they just trusted me with a massive budget. God bless them, you know. For like, they, they, basically that, what happened yeah. was they trusted that I was able to figure it out and I wasn't okay. in. I was just saying that behind the scenes that it was, it was, a, it was a first. It was well. a learning process. But we made yeah. it work, right? So like um, as far as meeting Matt, um, I had been teaching film production before I even had a YouTube channel for three years at this community college. Shout out to Santa Barbara City College um, near here. And um, I had asked Matt to come and just uh, 
speak at one of my classes years ago. So that's how we started our relationship. And then he, he's been my mentor for, for years since then. Um, and then I got that project a couple of years back. Okay. Yeah. I think that speaks to a lot of really good things. First of all, um, something I haven't asked you yet, but as someone who is uh, working on jobs, working on sets, things like that, why would it looks like you already were teaching kind of maybe as a part-time thing or something at a university yeah. setting. Why would I, I noticed you started your channel in 2014. One, we already see like an example of a cool opportunity that has given, but why, why in your words did you decide to start a channel? And I, I kind of also want to get into the YouTube side of things and how you're thinking about content strategy and whatnot. Yeah. Great question again, man. Like I started a channel because I was already teaching. I was teaching for years. I had all this curriculum that I was kind of like just doing the same curriculum again and again every year. And I'm like, huh, I could translate a lot of this to YouTube pretty easily. And that's kind of where I started out. It was actually kind of boring stuff at the beginning. A lot of just like screen capturing, create screen captures. This is how you do Premiere. People didn't even see my face. Showed mm-hmm. a bunch of random transitions. Um, yeah. And then, so have you like, obviously I think you'd say yes, but was that a, do you feel like that was a worthwhile decision and investment to start teaching on YouTube? Because obviously, I mean, at the university setting where they probably paying you like a salary kind of thing, community college, a community college. So was that also like a, so best experience of my life, right? Like teaching at that community college, I had never taught before. They were so nice. They taught me how to teach. I had no idea how to teach before. Uh, pay was not was well, not the best, but you know it's a community college, part time in a community, you know. So it's like, oh, that's fine. Um, but uh, I still talk to those people now. Those are some like my best friends. Um, definitely worth starting the YouTube channel though, just because of the reach. You can reach so much more. It can actually be a career. Um, I I advise everyone that they should do the YouTube game or at least try to in their own specific realm of specialty. And when you I mean YouTube they... game, I mean tutorial game. Teaching. It is. Yeah. I noticed, uh, something about the, there's some, there is a difference between like just making vlogs about your day versus, um, kind of the reach that basically what can the audience get from you? And when you do tutorials and teaching, it's like you're giving out free knowledge and there's just, it just gets further rather than people watching your vlog. But you you said something interesting. They taught you how to teach. Were there like some secret tips or like mindsets that you learned at the college setting that from, I guess, like like older professors or something? Uh, okay, so it's very it's a little bit different teaching in front of a class than on YouTube. So many different things. So uh, YouTube's so much easier because you can cut stuff up, all your ums. I remember the thought of teaching in front of a class every single day because my class was every single day. It wasn't like three times a day, just the way they had it set up. And a whole hour. Actually, no, I taught two classes. Sorry, sorry. Okay, that's not true. It's been a few years. I, it's I, been a while. I did teach every day. I taught two classes. I did teach every day, yeah. I taught two classes every day. Um, but literally having to be able to t- talk nonstop for an hour scared the living daylights out of me. It was just two hours, I guess. It was two classes, right? That in itself 
was what I had to learn how to do. And they were very, very patient with me because it took mm-hmm. me a few months. I remember just to get used to that. Not sounding like a complete idiot. It's like I knew the material. I'm like, I've done this. I know how to talk about the three pillars of exposure. But being able to communicate, that was a long process. And that I, I really appreciate that because their patience is what set me up for the whole YouTube game. Just being able to like even organize curriculum, how to create curriculum um, for you know weeks out, months out. Yeah, uh, definitely translates. That I feel like that was one of the hardest things for me to learn is like, I knew everything in my head, but that's a whole nother skill to be comfortable speaking on camera. That took me years and I'm still sometimes not. Yeah. Before but. teaching at school, I hadn't public. The last time I had done any public speaking was years ago, actually, when I was in college and I was hor- like that scared me. Like, like I was not I was like your normal. Yeah, I remember creative writing class. I think it was the last time I had to public speak before that. It was a horrible experience. All right. So changing gears a little bit. Um speaking of all that stuff that you used to teach i i, I did enjoy a, a really good video on your channel called like the evolution of music videos um oh yeah yep. I mean, that video is really captivating in a way that you i mean you spoke kind of like in a documentary style for 10 plus minutes do, do you script out those kind of things yeah everything that you hear me say on youtube is scripted out i've tried doing the just freestyling talking and it never never works i'm trying to get to the point where i can do that you're really good at that i've, I've listened to a lot of your breakdowns and you're just like you'll just go on and i'm like wow he's yeah so shout out to that yeah, yeah two different styles uh, i i usually go off the cuff but i definitely was inspired by that video that i watched in preparation for this and nice i kind of do want to get into some of those things that you touched on in that video for the potential music video director that's watching this and and touching on all all the stuff that we talked about so far so what are some what is storyboarding you hear this word a lot like Mm -hmm. people ask me about like should i storyboard before the video or like what's your process and i tell them like i don't really storyboard because i don't do i'm not a music video director i'm much more of like an editor in the post-production side of things so what is a storyboard why should someone use it or who should use it Good. Okay. Perfect. So I was just talking about this in my last podcast thing with Matt Alonzo. Matt Alonzo is the central key to all this in my life as far as learning how to do pre-production. I was a complete jerk on set for years of my life um, because I never did pre-production. Um, and I expected everyone on set to kind of just telepathically understand what I was thinking. Um, I realized after talking to Matt, after he started mentoring me that, hey, you need to have a pre-production process set up, meaning you need to have a treatment. A treatment will include a storyboard that basically tells both your client as well as your crew what the heck your vision is, right? So your treat, your, so let me think. There's all these words that I don't know if I have quite the right words correctly, but um, in my mind, a treatment is going to have like a shot list as well as a storyboard. And um, the shot list goes crazy into detail. Every shot, what the lighting setup is for that shot, camera movement, lens type, camera angle, shot type, all that stuff. That's for your DP and your G&E crew. When I say G&E crew, I mean your grip and electric crew um, and your, your, you know, your person operating your camera. Um, so they know before, you don't even have to talk to them. They know like a week before. So you need to talk to them beforehand, but you don't need to talk to them even on set as much as you would have to they already know what you want. Um, 
and then you you create a simplified version of your treatment to your client. It looks more like a brochure. And that's just a bunch of pictures. You want to dumb it down for them. You just want to get them excited. You want to get them to the point where they understand what that edit is going to look like, what that final product is going to look like before you even start shooting so that you're, you, you're able to manage expectations. That's like a big word. You want to manage expectations. Um, you won't be in like a, it, it sucks when you're like in editing and you, or you give them like your first draft after you finish editing your first draft and your client's like, what the heck? I didn't, wasn't expecting this. Um, I wanted something, I wanted a hundred thousand dollar video, even though my video budget was $200, you know? Uh, so the question is, what is a treatment? Well, you touched on a lot of good a storyboard. Okay. Like you said, there's a lot of these words like treatment and like, cause when, if I'm not aware of all this, I think treatment is like what I get at the doctor. Like, so yeah. do you actually sit so like, what is this? Are you like drawing pictures with a pencil and paper? Are you taking reference frames from like other videos that you like and saying like, this is kind of like the inspiration. What are you presenting? Because you don't have the final video. So what are you showing them? You're right. I didn't go into any of that at all. So a treatment um, is a, is a vision and, and it involves a lot of words and it involves a lot of pictures and all you're doing is you're trying to give your crew and your client what you have in store for them as far as the video. So as far as references, uh, you could either draw all those pictures, you know, scene one, scene two, you know, uh, performance scene for music video, um, B-roll, um, or you can, I, I can't draw. So I usually get reference pictures from other music videos or just, uh, you know, upsplash, unsplash, Google. So, really good. Yeah. So those are, those are useful tools. I think uh, for someone, whether they're creating a music video or just if they, it's kind of like, would you say that it's comparable to in writing, like a rough draft or an outline of a paper or an essay that you're going to write or something like that? Um, yeah, I, I, I guess so. And you want to finalize it. You don't want it just to be a rough draft. You want to go over the treatment with your client, make sure they're, they're good with it and have a final treatment. It's like your final draft that's before you actually start shooting. The more final your treatment can be by the time your production day comes, the more stress-free your post-production process is because there won't be any surprises. Really good. So so basically like planning, but you know, again, this is something for when you're working much, or it, this leans toward the, I guess this leans toward the traditional industry side of things, but there's no reason that an individual um, let's say I kind of want to get into this a lot because I assume that most of the people that are going to listen to this are going to be those one man band type of creators. So I don't see any reason why Perfect. they they couldn't use a tool like that. Would you agree to present? Yeah. It? In fact, in fact, if you noticed, uh, yeah, there's absolutely no difference between you still need to present to your client a treatment um, for the same reasons as if you were working with a team. Um, a lot of the time, though, you may not be working with a full film team. You may be working with just a guy or a friend to help you set your lights up. It still helps to give them the treatment so that you're not like, you know, trying to communicate in front of your client on set when it's like a team of two people. So you can come in as a professional unit. You know, everyone just needs to be on the same page. Like I, like I was saying before, I would literally get to the point back in the day hopefully i don't think i still do this now but i would just be start yelling at yelling at my crew like 
because they, they you know and it's not their fault it was my fault because they couldn't read my mind and i was like trying to communicate i was trying to like think up stuff on set you shouldn't be creative on set you should do all that creative stuff beforehand and you're just implementing all you're doing is just you're a robot on set implementing what you already thought of because you're dealing with all this other crazy stuff on set you're dealing with like people showing up late people trying to figure out you know calling you hey where's the parking lot um i don't know where to park um uh all this random uncreative stuff that you need to figure out you don't have time to be creative on set should have been done beforehand yeah you hear that that this term a lot like uh whatever however long you think a project's going to take it's probably going to take twice as long so plan for that and when you said the you know people calling like where do i park uh they need a parking ticket like all that stuff we don't think about and it takes up a lot of time but i kind of want to yeah. get into uh for like I guess the main core of the rest of this interview, I think could, could be made up on this. This gets into what I think people really want to know is like, like dealing with clients. So as a one man band, or, or we're talking about all this stuff, like show the client your treatment, show the client. Um, and I think there's a whole art of dealing with clients here that a lot of people are wondering about or confused about. So the first thing I'd love to get your perspective on, um, I guess let's talk about a big one, like pricing. So like, how do you present, how do you negotiate with a client? How do you present to a client? Do you ask them, what's your budget? Do they ask you, what's your rate? Do you present to them packages and plans? Like, how do you, I know it's different for everyone, but like, how do you see it in your experience? What I do is I try to get to understand what their expected scope of work is to the most minute details possible. And then um, instead of even having to negotiate too much, I'll just tell them, this is what I expect out of a two-day music video shoot for a three-minute song with a little bit of VFX, two locations. I want to get, say, 5K. Everything on top of that that I'm putting onto this budget is going right into the production as far as you know the type of location you want to, you know, the... All, all this random stuff, how many props you want and all that stuff. And I'll give them a budget without even negotiating, just basically based off the reality of my experience. Like, this is how much this costs. If we want to negotiate, it'll be the external things and not my core fee, you know. And then um, what you do is you itemize everything so that, you know, you don't come up. You say you give them a 20K budget and they're like, 20K, I've never done that before. If you itemize it, you're educating them through the process and you're justifying your budget. And usually at that point, you know, if they have the money, they'll be like, okay, that makes sense. Or if they don't have the money, they'll be like, I can't afford it. So uh, where are you? So if you said one part of these numbers is coming from like, this is just strictly how much it's going to cost to rent a fancy car for the day, right? This is how much it's going to cost to rent this studio, pay my employees and lighting if if that's what you're hiring first thing is you though first i'm assuming you want to direct and edit i usually hire a dp at this point um but i usually edit i usually direct edit and color and do vfx so my 5k is gonna just be that's that's me right there and then I, my crew kind of has a pretty set rate too so i throw that in there 5k plus another 2k or something right that's just all base costs and then you start talking to your client. Okay, you want to you want to you want to you want to shoot at a club. Okay, it's gonna cost this much. You want a nice car. It's gonna shoot shoot that much. Rental rental off a of Toro, you know. Um, yeah, you just break it down for them. So how do you decide 
where do you come up with this? This sounds like a vague question, but I think it's important. Like, where do you come up with this 5K? I had someone ask me, a younger guy, like, mm -hmm. I just don't know how to price myself. Like, so we're talking about time. You're in your head, you're thinking, I know I'm going to have to color. I know I'm going to have to deep. I know I'm going to have to shoot for three days. Are you breaking mm -hmm. it down? And like, this is going to take me based on my years of experience. I know this is going to take me like two weeks or something like that, or, or X amount of hours. Are you breaking it yeah. down? like based on the time it's going to take and how much you want to earn based on the time that you're spending because of opportunity costs and, and you're this gets into so much interesting stuff don't, but that's don't hold me on 5k by the way anyone watching that's just an estimate but uh but usually uh in my mind i'm like okay i want, I want to make at least 75 an hour and so the question is how many hours is, is this production going to take and instead of saying hey i i'm 75 an hour that's not going to really help your client because they're going to be like, well, I don't know how many. You just say 5K, that's your flat. I'm going to be careful now. Let's say, for an example, you use 5K. That's your that's your fee for that specific project. And then um, it's up to you to make sure you don't go over your hours. Yeah, you know? that's that's one thing I, was, I would agree with you on is I don't like to be hourly on projects because... I like to think of it as like deliverable. Like you want me to color grade your music video? I have I kind of know how long that's going to take in my head. And I, I also kind of know how much I want to um, make for putting in that work. And that's based on for me, like am I, I, I could be doing X, Y, and Z other things. I don't want to be making less than this much if I'm going to spending this much time on it. Or if I enjoy working with a client, if they're going to bring me more opportunities, I get more flexible um and and uh now i kind of just forgot there's so much that goes into pricing but yeah. with the deliverable yeah with hourly it's like well if i'm making 70 an hour i'll just spend as much i'll just drag out the project <laughs> but if you if you focus on the deliverable side of things then it's up to you to kind of get it done in that reasonable time frame if you get it done more efficiently that's better but like you also have to remember client how do you deal with revisions? Like, do you say you only get three ah, revisions? Yes. The wonderful world of revisions. I'll tell you a trick that I learned from another, one of my best friends, his name's Josh Troy. Um, I learned this completely from him. You go into a project as a consultant, not as a director. I don't know if, I think we talked about this before. So if you go in, so so you don't go in as a production company that's like, oh, hi, big client, hi, big uh, A-list uh, celebrity uh, artist. I'll do, I'll do whatever I'll be your slave I'll do whatever you want you come in as a consultant because that's what you are you know um, this is what I believe would be an amazing video I feel like okay um, what's your brand okay based on your branding I think uh, you should uh, have this type of editing style this type of lighting you know a little bit more moody I want you, you know this type of and you do that to a certain extent you know you don't want to just lord over your artist you want their vision to be incorporated as well but you just have that mentality to a certain extent, you judge the extent that you can push push that. Once you get to post-production, they view you as the director, right? You have the experience. So they're going to be a lot less open to start being Mr. Big Shot or Miss Big Shot on you and being like, eh, I don't like that. Either. I want to change that. So you just psychologically, you, you flip the, you know, the kind of the, the, the mental you know you know mood of things you know 
um and they'll be instead of having to at the end be like a jerk like no i don't think you're right and you're arguing with your client you never want to get to the point where you're outwardly arguing with your client as the professional so it's a mental game sometimes um but as far as revisions go usually i'm like um for my for that flat fee for the music video you know we'll do two revisions for free and then after that you start charging hourly after that yeah that that seems to make sense and you can gauge like so this i actually want to get into a really important thing because i i know there's someone listening to this right now and they're like well you know you guys are talking about five thousand and ten thousand twenty thousand dollar videos and i know that we i think we've said some stuff that can translate to any level budget but uh, what advice do you personally have because i'm sure you weren't always getting a certain rate that you're commanding now i'm sure you weren't always working on these big videos how do you no, how yeah. did you or what do you what kind of advice do you recommend for someone to work their way up to like command a higher rate and uh, and build up to a higher level because mm-hmm. maybe right now they're just shooting a video for their for their homie and they're shooting a video maybe for free or like you know mm-hmm. i'll i'll buy you lunch and like three something things. else three things First of all, the easy one, just don't be afraid to charge a higher rate. Most people are just afraid to charge a higher rate. And that needs to be a, a confidence thing. You just need to you, you be, you, you need to be like, hey, I've been shooting music videos for three years. How about I charge a higher rate? Most people I talk to, they should be charging three times what they're charging. Uh, second thing is um, don't be afraid to work for free just to get your portfolio up to a certain level. Um, Get like three really dope music videos. We're talking about music videos right now, right? Um, that you don't even, and you mentally say, I don't care how I got to these music videos, meaning I don't really care whether I got paid $2 or a million dollars. I just want to get these three videos in my portfolio before the end of the summer or something, right? After that, treat everything as a sunk cost. And after that, then you can think, okay, from now on, I'm a professional. I want to start making money. I'm going to be charging uh, what I deserve and actually value my time. Um, and then the third thing after that is don't be afraid to hire a producer. A lot of people, I remember I was like this, I was like a producer. That's, that's like a large chunk of my, or that's, that's a significant part of my budget. Um, but the secret is it, it isn't necessarily a producer is literally anyone, even if it's an inexperienced friend that takes the non-creative aspect of film production and gives you more time and space to just focus on the creative so someone that's able to just like book the location um be like a go-between between you and the client you know on the set day everyone has that producer's phone number so that if they're trying to find a parking spot they're able to call the producer up and not you you'd be amazed how more efficient and how beautiful the end result of your productions will be by having a producer um it's that is such a big tip that I hope someone takes hold of that. And you don't have to worry about paying a producer tons of money. You could, I remember, uh, I remember having friends come in for free just cause you know, they knew I didn't have the budget and we we're just trying stuff out and they were down to experience it, learn off of that. Yeah. Just something to do. Like, uh, I have some friends that have some businesses of their own and like, uh, one of my friends has a, he, he, him and his wife do like uh they sell like skin products and uh i was just bored one day and they we all went over there and helped them package their stuff like uh put this plastic seal and put the labels on them like i'm not getting paid for that but it's just just like you know yeah. something friends do 
and and I'm sure that that friend was an enjoyable person to talk to. You know, you need to make sure that as a director, you are you are a enjoyable person to talk to. You know, you don't want to have that reputation as oh, I don't want to work for Josh because he yelled at me last shoot. <laughs> Specifically, if you're dealing with low budgets, you have to realize that what how are you motivating your crew you know when you're in the high budget realm you know money is a big motivator and you almost have a little bit of a break from that you still want to be a nice person but you have a little bit more of a break when you're dealing with the low budgets man you need to make sure that your crew is either either feels like they're being taught stuff you know maybe it's it's it you know they just want to you want to you want to motivate them to work by how you're treating them even more than normal. Yeah, nobody wants to not make money and get yelled at. <laughs> like, why am I here? <laughs> but yeah, I feel like we touched on a lot of really good things. Of whether you're just starting out uh, and some and building up, or taking some of those things that you said that are principles that you apply on bigger production sets with people, and I think you can still take those same principles of negotiation and professionalism and use them if you're a solo creator listening to this as well so uh i kind of i want to i want to keep these like concise and packed full of info so i feel like we touched on a lot of good stuff and i think uh one last thing uh, like one last topic i want to dive into is uh basically like what you're doing with your youtube channel like where because you have these two things now you take on projects professionally but how do you view that in balance with this youtube opportunity and this digital platform and what are you like? What are your content goals and strategies? It's been hard, man. But I'll say that I always want to be in the field as well as teaching off of that. I want to teach off of my experience in the field so that I'm always up to date. Um, so I never want to be the person where I'm just teaching forever and not actually experiencing what I'm teaching about. So I'm always going to need to be doing both. It has been hard, though. Um, one thing that's made it a lot easier is I have a team now. Um, I have a team of people that are helping me create content on the channel. Um, shout out to uh, Nick Koo over in Sydney, Australia, and my bro Herman Huang, aka Coffee Liquor, over in Vancouver, Canada, um, and uh, Quinn Murphy over in NYC, uh, and a couple other people too. Kind of, they're kind of coming in on and off, but it's a process. You got to be organized. Being able Where'd to be you organized. find these people? If I can cut you off real quick, just for anyone no. wondering, like you're just pulling names out of New York, and like what? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good call. Good point. So uh, I've been a fan of Nick Koo for years. Um, and I was finally like, hey, Nick, would you mind? Would you be on my channel? He was like, yeah. Longer story behind that. But he's an amazing VFX artist. Quinn and um, Coffee Liquor, a.k.a. Herman, I found off of Black With No Cream. All of you guys that don't know Ben Haggerty, he's an absolute genius. Black With No Cream, the best um, group of, what's, what's it called? Creative Collective. Uh, it's on Facebook, Instagram, Black with No Cream. Everyone's, it's open to everyone. It's amazing. I was the first guest interview. What? <laughs> so I'm talking about yeah, yeah, we both have history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it looks like you, you have you, you've been building leverage on your, you, you're using the leverage that you've built, and you're in these different communities and using social media, and reaching out to people because, you know. Why would they want to work with you? Well, you also are providing them an interesting opportunity to reach people. So it kind of, hopefully people can see how that all. And we're paying them. Payment, the great motivator. I mean, like, we're, they're just great people. They, they, 
yeah, I mean, yeah, we we deserve to pay, we need to pay them a lot more than we do. <laughs> but that's the goal to be able to pay more and more. Yeah. Well, it sounds like yeah, like working with the team, uh, uh, an interesting idea to scale, um, which I probably need to take. I need to do more of. <laughs> but uh, uh, mm-hmm. so finally, uh, like actually getting into making videos like you know is there subscriber goals you're reaching for is there monetization strategies and goals you're reaching for uh or you know is there view like upload counts like how do you go about trying to grow your channel uh yes uh one million subscribers before the end of the year if it doesn't happen i'm leaving youtube forever this year all right let's go Yeah, I mean, we love to expand more and more. You know, it's always a a journey. Um, I would love to continue to get more and more distinguished guests on, interview more awesome people. I'm thinking mainly in the music video industry, but I'm expanding definitely into the VFX world as well. Um, I want to. We're definitely getting more into um, master classes, putting a bunch of educative. What's that a word? Um, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, material behind a payroll, paywall, basically. Uh, yeah, connect with we. Oh, another thing, we want to connect with with more uh, companies, hardware companies. That's kind of been a big plan in this next quarter. So, would you say that from a monetization point of view, uh, you've had to really get not creative, but you've had to apply some business principle into it actually make products and courses and not just coast on like getting views and youtube is going to pay you a bunch of money oh yeah man figuring out how to monetize a channel is a journey unto itself um we could talk forever about that and i will i'm willing to talk about any aspect of that um we've learned so much um yeah youtube google adsense pays you crap you can't rely on that um, but the point is knowing how to figure out how to add value. People will not support your channel unless you're giving them value um, apart from the Google AdSense stuff, um, which happens kind of automatically. So that's the, kind of the thing. Okay, how do how do we do this in a way that is mutually beneficial to both parties so that we can actually afford to hire more people and put out more great content? It's been fun. Yeah, that we could do a whole other episode on that. And for anyone who's curious... Uh... Uh, I have a bunch of videos on my channel on like how to earn revenue online and how to monetize and different ideas. And also you could just take a look and watch it. Like what channels like mine and Josh, you can always kind of like, you know, actions speak louder than words. So you can see like, oh, this person's offering a masterclass course. This person has products on their website. This person's working with XYZ brand. If you read between the lines, you can kind of see the different ways that they're monetizing and uh, hopefully get these bigger picture themes. If that is you, um, but I think we did touch on a lot of great things, useful info for someone uh, listening. Is there any other like final words of wisdom or anything cool that you're working on? That Oh, I, I wanted to make one point too that you said about like interviewing more people. I also want to interview more people like this. Uh, I mean, here I am interviewing you starting this podcast back up again because I think it is almost like uh, a waste of all that leverage that you've built if I don't cash in on it in a way and that maybe is not the right word, but you know, I have this platform, I have all these cool people in the community. So like, why don't I also bring other people onto the platform, use it rather than just like keep it all hoarded up until it withers away and becomes irrelevant. 
And then if you do that, it like will keep growing rather than withering away. But that's more interesting. Mutually beneficial to both parties too. Anyone you bring on, they're like, whoa, I get to be in front of the the Justin Odisho audience. And then you get a good point of view, maybe tapping into like a vacuum of knowledge that you may not know. That's what I've been doing. All these talented VFX artists, man, they'd be tackling some crazy stuff. I'm like, yo, glad you're explaining this. Yeah. Well, if any... uh you, if anyone is listening to this, um, definitely go check out Josh's channel. Uh, just before this interview, I was watching a bunch of really interesting interviews, like the one you did with, uh, so you, had, you did a bunch with music video directors, like the evolution of music videos. I found those really interesting. Um, so I would recommend everyone go check it out. Josh Olufemi on YouTube. That's O-L-U-F-E-M-I-I. And, and if you're listening, uh, you can listen to this podcast on YouTube, um, Spotify, everywhere podcasts are, Apple Podcasts. Uh, so if you want to check out, I do have a back catalog. If you want to check it out, um, of all of the episodes on my playlist in the Justin Odisho podcast playlist, Josh has actually been on one time previous. If you want to check out like a group chat, see the evolution from then till now. Um, and definitely go subscribe to Josh. Check out his channel. We've got a, I've got a couple of interview snippets of him interviewing me coming out on his channel so anything mm. else you want to say to the people keep creating guys and if you do end up making youtube content please invest in great sound equipment sound is more important than the visuals great final point so thanks everyone so much for listening josh thanks so much for thanks, taking man. your time coming on and i'll see you guys in the next episode